The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast and I am joined by a special guest tonight on... Just about as late notice as you could possibly give a person to come on a program. John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle and SB Nation joins us. John, you've been on the program once before. We, uh, we're we glad to have you back. I think the last time you were on was right before the draft. So how have things been going? Um, how was your fourth, first of all? Fourth was good. Um, got, I got into a pool, and I know some of my friends were jealous because of that because I beat the heat <laughs> with that. So that was good. They ate some, some good food. Didn't really see a lot of fireworks, I think. I think um, just watching or going on Twitter last night, I think I've entered like old man Twitter, like on oh, like fireworks suck and stuff like that, the noise and stuff. So I hope I'm not getting to that age where I don't like fireworks. I want to keep that part of my youth as long as I can. But the fourth is good. How was your fourth? Uh, it, was, it was good. Thanks for asking. Kind of did a lot of different things, but it was it was good. I, I got to go to the uh, the beach for a handful of hours, which was awesome. And uh you may or may not know that I have a, a, a little guy. He's about 16 months now. Um, so I, I guess I'm part of quote unquote old man Twitter because I didn't get to watch. I didn't really get to watch uh, fireworks last night. The little guy crashed out early. And so we were just kind of hanging and didn't really go anywhere special to go view them. So uh, I guess I'm a little bit in that boat. And we have a little question of the night. We sometimes do this is uh, usually they're pretty fun. So since you mentioned food, John, um, and we are dudes on this program, and we like our food. The question I put out to uh, our Twitter account earlier today was basically your go-to July 4th food, and the options I had were uh, burgers, uh, some sort of hot dogs, brats, sausages, um, chili, or some other type of grub that you you know maybe some, maybe you got something special i'll give you the, an update real quick 43 percent says burgers uh is the go-to 51 percent has hot dogs brats, sausages only three percent is kind of a little surprising from Bengals fans say chili because uh, chili is such a big deal in in cincinnati and uh three percent have others so do you have a thought sir on your go-to grub or do you just kind of just hey it's a holiday i'm eating what's in front of me I voted in this poll. I was part of the 43% oh, okay. Nice. But um, I, I am interested in the 3% who voted chili because Cincinnati chili is not like chili chili. It's just basically like like meat soup or like really water and stuff like that. But I would be interested. Yeah, if like I go to a 4th of July party and they have like chilies or especially, I'm assuming it's good because that's a bold move to do on a 4th of July party. <laughs> yeah, is that, is that more like, because you're from the area, is that more like a... 
it, I mean, they, they usually in a, at a Bengals game, you know, they kind of do the, well, they're doing the ads before uh, they come back on the air type of thing. Um, they show like pictures around the city and the, usually almost every, without fail, yep. um, they, they show, you know, guys scooping chili. Is that mostly like a fall winter type of thing? And not so much like, because in California, I would think like summer chili cookout, like all that kind of stuff. Is it, is it different in Cincinnati because chili's more of a, cold weather seasonal food or something i guess in that sense like like people eat hot hot cocoa because it keeps them warm and stuff and like if you, <laughs> if you're like you're like scooping chili out of that like, like a tailgate i would assume it's like part of it's like holding it so you're like your hands are warm and also tastes good obviously but yeah it's like that watery really water it's all it's it's essentially just like a, a really thick liquid which i guess is soup i guess but it's not like the traditional chili that you would see in texas and then people outside of the state get triggered when they try to call that chili and stuff like that I see. Okay. Well, I got, I got a lot to learn. I got a lot to learn. <laughs> well, since uh, just briefly, since the last time we had you on was before the draft, um, what did you make of the Bengals draft class? Some of their undrafted free agents, likes, dislikes, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I know that's quite a bit now in the rearview mirror, but um, you know, you did quite a bit of work, film breakdown and such for, for the site. And I think all of us are pretty heavily invested in the draft who follow a football team. So what did you make of the Bengals hall and uh, good value, bad value, all that kind of good stuff? It was, it was a solid draft. I think um, a lot of the, a lot of my analysis of it, it kind of came off as negative at the time because I, I liked the Billy Price pick. It wasn't my preference, but I liked it. And I liked the like the same Hubbard pick, but I didn't love it and I didn't hate it. And it was a lot of this, you know, it, like it wasn't great value. It wasn't like reaching or anything. It was just it was there were just a lot of solid picks. And for the most part, it, it kind of leaves you a little bit un, like un, unamused, unexcited because you're kind of wanting a little bit more, especially looking at some of the other drafts that teams do. But um, overall, just looking back, they got a lot of players that I think more than anything. Uh, kind of fit the culture of where this team is right now. And I think an underrated value about rookies contributing early is getting them comfortable, not only with the system, but with like the organization and the culture that surrounds them. And guys like Billy Price and Hubbard, who are obviously you know, good locker room guys, guys who are invested in not only the city, but presumably with the coaching staff and how they have that connection going on there. And just, just bringing in young guys who I think are going to contribute a lot in special teams. And that's how they're going to get on the field early. And yeah, they may not have the highest ceilings, which is, which was kind of my biggest gripe with it. But I think for what the team needed, it, it was an okay draft. And at, at the end of the day, you can't really be too mad about that or too disappointed. Yeah, and, I, you know, offensive line early. I, Billy Price wasn't my top guy at the center position, nor was he, you know, the top offensive lineman for me really in the draft. But arguably the biggest position of need that they that they had on the board they got one of the best centers, depending on your view of the kind of the top, the big three guys that were, you know, that were there. Um, you know, I, and, and like you said, solid, not spectacular. I think last year, last year's draft class was more of the wow, you know, the John Ross speedster, the Joe Mixon guy. And yes, there's, we understand there's a lot there with that guy, but kind of, and Joe, Josh Malone, height, weight, speed guy, you know, the, the sizzle was last year. This is more solidifying the trenches and, and doing some doing some work on on both sides of the ball. Now, you being from that area and you know being a Bengals fan and and following the team, you've probably noticed that there has been an absence of Ohio State players that they have picked 
especially in recent years. Were you surprised that they took two Ohio State players in the first three round, rounds and then they added uh, the, the linebacker Warley as an undrafted free agent? So they, they really dipped heavily into the Buckeyes this year. Were you a little surprised by that or, or you know, hey, good players on a great team, let's get after them? Basically more the second, um, the, the latter of what you said. I don't think that teams specifically, well, I mean, there's obviously the Ozzie Newsome connection with Alabama, and you can argue that there's a Georgia connection with like Cincinnati. But I don't think, I think teams specifically focus more on, you know, targeting conferences and just power five teams in general than rather targeting or staying away from teams. I think it was just a coincidence how the Bengals just didn't draft Ohio State players because, I mean, the Ohio State has, you know, produced tons of NFL talent, at least in recent years, and they just didn't really get the opportunity to draft any of them because either A, the, those players weren't on the board at the right time, or just B, they just had other other guys higher. So this year just kind of all just came out at once. You know, you got Price, Hubbard, and Worley, all guys who I think all three of them could very well make the roster. And I say that because of Worley, who has – who may have an inside track as a linebacker. So I think it was just more of a coincidence. And I, I, I wasn't really on the, on the opinion that they didn't like Ohio state guys. I just think that it, it just kind of happened and they just, just kind of went with it. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. We're joined by special guest, John Sharon of Cincy jungle and SB nation. Um, you can get this program on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, at cincyjungle.com. Uh, subscribe to our channels. We appreciate it. And uh, we know, we know, we know there's been some audio issues lately. We are working uh, our best to get that cleaned up and figured out. Uh, we had it figured out, and then the, the bugs kind of came back the past couple of weeks. We're trying to get it uh, figured out, so stick with us. Subscribe to our channels, and uh, we'll, we'll be good to you, I promise. We, we might be joined by my usual co-host, Scott Schultz, towards the end of the program. We will see, but we are happy to have John Sheeran with us once again. Speaking about kind of transitioning out of the draft and seeing these guys on the field a little bit, one guy that's been turning a lot of heads, John, is Alden Tate, the seventh round pick, Florida State guy, um, huge, you know, 230 plus pounds, 6'5", um, but he's a bit slow for a wide receiver, and he, you know, he just he had injury issues. There was a lot of things that kind of caused him to, to drop a bit, but there's a lot to like there. Now, he has been turning heads probably the most in, in these early practices. Again, we're talking – Minimal pads and shorts, so kind of kind of hard to take too much stock into it. But just real quick, unbelievable, quote-unquote, A.J. Green said of Tate's catches, according to Dan Horde of Bengals.com. Uh, they call him a young Brandon Marshall. He has unbelievable hands. That's kind of some quotes from A.J. Green. Um, Bob Bicknell, the new wide receivers coach, he's got a lot of things that you can't teach. Unbelievable size, good body control. Are you buying the hype? I mean, I've got a couple of follow-up questions for you here, but I mean, are you buying the initial hype that you're seeing here? Because if I remember correctly, Kelvin Benjamin, wasn't he a Florida State guy? Big, yep. big, big, tall, strong guy, not very fast. Um, is he closer to that? And Florida State likes those guys, apparently. Um, <laughs> is he closer to that and just hasn't reached that potential as early as Benjamin did? Or is it just, you know what, he's going to really have – trouble getting separation as a wide receiver in this league. I don't know, just your initial impressions of him. You did some film work on him as well for Cincy Jungle. Yeah. Um, I just want to start by saying I kind 
I, I didn't completely foreshadow this, but I did say that like as soon as Tay was drafted, I was like, he's going to do something ridiculous, whether it be training camp or like preseason, and people are going to go crazy, and then he's not going to catch a ball in the regular season, whether that because he doesn't make the roster or he just can't get on the field because he can't play special teams. Uh, in general, um, j- just for just for receivers in general, like you know, they don't have to be all around great athletes, which I think is a misconception, but they do have to be you know, athletic in at least one area. And Tate does not have any athleticism to his name. Now, I'm not saying that the 46840 is a problem. It's just that he's not explosive and he's not quick. And the Brandon Marshall comparison is interesting because, yeah, Marshall was big and he can outbody guys, but Marshall could also get yards after catch, whether it be breaking tackles or making guys miss for his size. Tate is, he could make it, he could like shut off a tackle or two, but he's not going to move very well in space. So I, I think Tate's role is pretty clear. And that's going to be just contested catches down the sideline, you know, get him in the red zone and see what he can do. Because I think he's an ideal, not not I completely ideal, but typically the Bengals have targeted size at the position because they have a quarterback named on who's not completely precise with the ball, but he can put it in the area. And if you give him, you know, a ton of guys like Marvin Jones and AJ Green, obviously, and Tyler Eifert, if you can just put the ball in the general area and you have a guy that has a big large catch radius and go behind the shoulder or over a guy that's very valuable to a quarterback like like Dalton who doesn't really throw guys open I guess necessarily and needs guys to separate so I think Tate in that sense kind of fits what they look for at the receiver position but it all comes down to okay are they going to have an extra receiver on the roster because they typically like to activate the final two guys on uh, in that position group to play special teams and you're not going to have on Tate be like a gunner on punt teams you know they have like, <laughs> right, right. They have like Malone and core for that so I, it's going to be a question of yeah did they maybe kick off Erickson for that because they, they need an extra spot or they're going to have seven receivers again it's just going to be interesting how he continues developing in training camp and in the preseason because if you can't run routes and separate in this league you you have a very small window of making a team and making an impact yeah so I mean I'm looking at uh I'm looking at the receivers, obviously, and, you know, we know Green, Boyd, LaFell, Ross are locks. Um, probably either or, uh, maybe both, Core and Malone. Um, and then you've got Erickson kind of hovering around there. They probably – sometimes they've kept five receivers. Sometimes they've kept six. On the very rare occasion, they've kept seven. So – it kind of depends what, what they want to do there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of wild cards, obviously injuries and what they see in training camp. Maybe, maybe, maybe Tate turns into a guy like a, uh, um, gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. The, the, the big guy that was from the small school in, in Wisconsin, who was there, he had the long hair. Uh, oh, oh, touchdown Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Touchdown Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was everybody's darling. Right. Right. Uh, and in camps and camps. And then as preseason games came, not much there. Uh, and we know we've heard Marvin Lewis say um, that, We've seen it on Hard Knocks where he says, you know, where you're going to make this team is in preseason games. Not really. Yeah, if you turn heads in training camp practice, of course, that's going to be in your corner. But, you know, you got you got to do some things in these games when you get chances. So obviously that's going to be something that they look at without and take. But I have been kind of wondering because of his 230 ish pound frame, six foot five. A little bit slow on the speed. Could he fill some sort of weird niche 
either as, hey, let's just get this guy in there, even if he plays five snaps. If we keep him on the regular roster, he plays five snaps a game in, in the uh, the goal line packages, the red zone packages. So, you know, you throw one up to the pylon, he's going to out jump a defender and make the catch. You know, he's he might be open because if Eifert's on the field, Green's on the field, you know, that sort of scenario. So I want to ask you about that. But I also want to ask you, well, let's start there. And then I'll, I'll, I'll give you the other question there. So uh, could he be, number one, make make the roster as just simply a niche receiver um, this year to help out in, in the red zone? I, I think he can. Um, I think in order for him to actually make the roster, because I think at least in their minds, they think that that position that they have is stacked, whether or not that, that the talent that they have is proven or not. I think if he makes the roster, they would expect him – to fulfill, you know, a role behind AJ Green, if need be, behind John Ross, he would be expected to run the entire route tree and to play on any down in any scenario. But obviously, he specializes in outbodying guys, whether it's in in-breaking routes or just jump ball situations and stuff like that. So I think if he makes the team, they would, in in their minds, have him do anything that a receiver would do. And something that's interesting is that they brought, like, specifically in this draft class, besides Tate, they brought in a lot of guys who. I think they would feel comfortable playing special teams. So maybe that they don't have two receivers that are gunners and w- would just fulfill those roles to maybe like a Mark Walden or even a Quinn Flowers if he makes the team. So they can give him flexibility in that where they would you know, not have him do that role. So they could maybe weasel, weasel his way onto the roster. But I think if he comes onto the roster, he would be expected to do most, if not all the things that all the receivers are expected to do. Okay, so then my follow-up question and and there uh, you mentioned expectations of what a wide receiver i mean like you said in a marvin lewis team either they're going to be either an excellent wide receiver and that's that's basically it they got to have kick return ability they got or they got to be able to do you know punt coverages all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. now tight ends they obviously are pass catchers they also help out in in blocking out tate has borderline size of a tight i mean really you, you talked about a little bit of a, a lack of an athleticism in certain areas of his game as a wide receiver. You, but you look at his size and his speed, he almost has the skill set of an athletic type of tight end, but right. doesn't have the blocking prowess. Mm-hmm. We've seen this team time and time again try and experiment with guys at different positions than what they played in college, trying to get cute and trying to find some sort of niche. It doesn't work out, but. Could could Alton Tate be a guy they look at as a as a tight end H back type of guy? That yeah, he needs to refine his blocking, obviously. But like again, like I said, maybe he's a red zone threat. Maybe he's a goal line threat. I, I don't know. Is that something you think is in the cards, or is that just pushing a, a boulder uphill at this point? I would say it's in the cards specifically because. Right after they drafted him, they said they would not try my tight end. And I, don't, I don't trust this team at all with what they said in, in those kinds of situations. So, yes, yeah. I wouldn't say it's out of the question. I would say, though, that if he makes the roster, it is as a wide receiver. Okay. Jake Kumarau is the is that, touchdown Jesus. That was, yeah. that was the guy we could not remember. Good Lord. I can't believe I forgot about that. <laughs> Jake about Kumarau, two- Ryan Whalen, like Kobe Hamilton. There's a bunch of – Desmond Briscoe. There's a bunch of those guys. They yep. all get mixed together. Yep. And they didn't do very much for the Bengals, did they? So your prediction, let's let's get this uh, because I'm, I'm going to hold you to it. We're, your prediction for Alden Tate in terms of making the roster and potentially getting looks at tight end 
are? I would say right now he doesn't make the roster. Okay. Right now. Okay. And if he does make the roster, it would be a wide receiver. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. I think he will, he will really need to wow uh, the coaches at this point, especially now that they're getting John Ross back. Um, they, they seem to really like Malone and core. Uh, I, I, you know, I think there's a chance that they only keep one, but I think they, they really like both of them and want to see how they both develop. So um and I think they think that they could probably still develop Tate on, on the practice squad. Oh, for sure. and, and, and he probably wouldn't be someone that would be a hot commodity probably from another team's perspective. But we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran from SB Nation and CincyJungle.com. Uh, can't thank him enough for coming on in such short notice. And, and I appreciate it. As I said, we might be joined later on by Scott Schultz. <laughs> you can get this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Uh, you can subscribe to all of those channels. You can also get all of our material on CincyJungle.com. And we appreciate all the support that you've shown us. Uh, really, this this program's now, gosh, I think we're, we're two years old. I, gosh, we might have to have like a, an anniversary party here. Um, we're also going to be taking a couple of listener questions at the end of the show. So uh, if you are joining us in the live YouTube chat, feel free to shoot those to us there. If you are following us on Twitter, please do at Bengals OBI. Uh, you can shoot a, a question to us over there. Um, we are also scanning the comment threads at cincyjungle.com. There's a post up there and you can also get in touch with us, be it with a listener question or any kind of feedback or anything via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. Uh, let's transition a little bit here, John, from what's been going on right now to what has transpired with this club over the past 15 years. And as you're, you're a little bit younger than I am, so I, I think that you have uh, – I'm a little envious of you because you've seen far more qual- high-quality football than I have in, ter- in, in times of following the Bengals. So – um, I, I'm starting a series on CincyJungle.com. It's going to be the top 10 Bengals players under Marvin Lewis of all time. And I, that's the, I, the first post should probably be coming up sometime either tomorrow or over the weekend. So um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give my first, you know, my top guys away, but obviously there, there are some names that we all can recognize as being some of the top guys. So there are a number of factors to consider. I mean, there are some great players uh, that were great players in the NFL, but didn't play a long time under Lewis. Willie Anderson is one. Justin Smith is a number, uh, another. Um, you know, there are other factors. You know, how many Pro Bowls a guy has been to, and are they, you know, were they kind of an alternate that was brought into the fray, or what have you? And then just general durability. Uh, maybe even likability. I hate to, I hate to kind of say that, but production obviously is, is of paramount, you know, paramount importance in this. So um, I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty entertaining series that I have each, each player is going to get their own post and then we're going to do some honorable mentions, but just give me maybe some guys that here, let's do this. Give me two or three names that you remember from either 2003 to, or they're on the current roster right now, that you can say, hey, these are kind of the top players that Marvin Lewis has had on the Bengals uh, in the past, you know, 15 plus years. So I'm not going to say Chad Johnson. I'm not going to say Carson because I think those guys are obvious. And I'm not going to say like Gino and, and AJ. I will start with Leon Hall, though, because I think 
he was one of my personal favorites because my cousin who uh, worked at Kenwood Country Club, which is like a few miles up north of Cincinnati, uh, he would get him sometimes and he would just say how you know cool of a person he was and how chill and laid back. But not only that, he was like, like Gino Atkins was the first, at least of like this generation of like undersized three techniques. And when the NFL was going more, more past like heavy, Leon Hall was like, as the NFL started moving into more 11 personnel sets with like three receivers and the and defenses started having using uh, three cornerbacks on the field, he was the first like great slot cornerback. And he was criminally underrated at his peak of his career in Cincinnati because he didn't rack up a ton of interceptions and a ton of targets because he would be playing in the slot and he would just completely shut down slot receivers, you know, at, at the time where the NFL was transitioning to that sort of offense. And now in, in today's game, you know, having a great slot cornerback is so imperative and so many great defenses rely on having a guy that they can put in nickel. And I think Leon Hall to me was, was so valuable for that defense. And, he spent a, a long time here. He was the one extended, not Jonathan Joseph. And he was just a great dude in general. And he just, he's definitely at least the very least in my top 10. In okay. So you're going to like one of my posts then, because I'm not going to say where he is, but I did put Leon Hall on the list. And, and I want to hear more because, and I like the fact, here's what I like about it. I mean, we could all say, like you said, we could say Chad, Say AJ, say Gino, because that those are kind of shoe in type of guys. But I like those fringe type of guys, those guys that, or or not necessarily fringe guys like a Hall that they were great, but they weren't the perennial Pro Bowler. They were just really solid, good football players, and and played for the team for a long time. I'm going to throw a couple things out, just tidbits before we get to your next player that you want to talk about, Leon Hall. In terms of uh, career leaders, I always thought this was pretty interesting. He is third in team history. I'm sorry, fourth in team history with uh, 26 interceptions behind Ken Riley, Lewis Breeden, and Dave, David Fulcher, all three very good defensive backs. He, this is, this is an insane number to me, and I guess it has something to do with uh, his longevity with the club, but 100, he has a franchise record, 112 passes defended. Uh, with with the team, the next highest is ironically Jonathan Joseph at seventy six. Uh, Adam Jones has sixty seven. Reggie Nelson sixty two. So I mean, that's that's to me that's a ridiculous number. Um, and then you look at tackles, overall tackles. The top seven guys. There's one nose tackle who has an insane number, one thousand eight total tackles. Tim Crumry. I don't know. I don't know if you remember that name, but then you've got all linebackers essentially, except for Daryl Williams, a safety, you know, 500. But here at number eight, amidst all these other linebackers is Leon Hall uh, in terms of total tackles with the club. So to me, you know, he was around the football a lot, whether it's tipping the passes away or knocking them away, intercepting them or around a guy to make a tackle. Uh, He was also one of the very few rookies that Marvin Lewis instantly relied on to play a significant role with the team. He didn't even allow that with Jonathan Joseph, though Joseph had had an injury, I think, in his rookie year too. But So I, that's why I like Hall on, on this list. There, there's just a number of different aspects, that, you know, that go so overlooked when you think about other players. You know, the three we mentioned that, that – would be shoe-ins on this list. You kind of, for, Leon Hall gets lost in the shuffle, and obviously he was a big part of 
many outstanding Bengals defenses under Mike Zimmer and, and some under uh, Paul Gunther as well. One last thing I, I just want to say about him. He was very durable with the exception of two Achilles injuries that he suffered. And to show his durability, the fact that he came back earlier than it's scheduled from both of those injuries and still played with the team, still produced, that that to me said a lot about Leon Hall, both the character and, and the football player. So um, good choice on that. Who's another guy you got you got on your list there? Now, I know you said that we want to stay away from players who spent a little time before Marvin here got here, but I feel like just for the respect of this man, for the disrespect that was put upon him upon the Bengals' top 50 last year, I have to say Brian Simmons' his name. I know he started his wow. career in the 90s, but he was one of the few guys that when I first started watching the Bengals was when Marvin came here. And that defense early on in his, in his, career, in his time here was not very good, obviously. I mean, that yeah. 20, 2005 team was heavily relied on their offense, and on defense it was either turnover or bust. But Simmons was just kind of – he just he was just that staple on, the, on that defense, I feel like. And obviously, Takeo Spikes was here, and he was playing alongside with him. And when Spikes left, Simmons remained here. And he was he wasn't he was kind of like a better version in my mind from what I can remember. He was just like a better version of like Vinny Ray, and where he wasn't he wasn't the biggest, wasn't the fastest, but he was productive. He played a lot, and I just feel like he was one of the, he's one of the most unheralded Bengals of all time. And he was like forty eight or forty seventh on like that top fifty list last year, and I thought that was completely yeah. disrespectful to him. Yeah. And I feel like on a bad defense, surrounded by not very good players around him. He performed about as well as he could have and for a decent period of time. So he would be maybe not in my top 10, but I feel like I have to give him an honorable mention. That's a, that's a great call because not only was he also very, very durable for the most part, um, never got into trouble, never did anything, just played solid football. And yes, he only played, uh, I guess it was four seasons under Lewis, 03 through 06. Um, and yes, some of his more productive years were with Spikes. Spikes, if you remember, was a free agent in the 2003 offseason when Marvin got there. Marvin tried to talk him into, hey, we'll, we'll give you the money. Just stay and trust what I'm building here. And Spikes didn't want, he, want anything of it. And he went to, I believe it was Buffalo right after that. So um, that kind of an interesting thing there. The one thing about Brian Simmons that – also should be mentioned with him kind of in the in the same light with with Leon Hall is just a guy who did whatever was asked of him he played multiple linebacker positions and and didn't really you didn't see a drop off really at any p different position that he played um and, and when Marvin Lewis had you know Nate Webster who ended up being a turd of a human being when he went down with an injury you know Simmons had to help out in the middle of the field it's, so he just did a lot of things for this team and, and did them pretty well so that's that's a good uh that's a good point I I uh I like that one who else you got um maybe I could throw out Kevin Huber just because he's a Bearcat and all right I'm obviously loyal to Bearcats but I'll throw out Bobby Williams just because he was. I love that one. Yep. Just, as a, just as a young kid, he was just like he was just that big offense line. He'd come out of the tunnel going like this, and that was always a big part of my memories going to games. Down in training camp, he was one of the most lovable guys, just interacting with other guys and doing autographs and stuff. Just big Bobby Williams, you know. I, I want to say he was undrafted, if I remember correctly, but he might he was either undrafted or like drafted kind of late. But he was always solid, um, playing next to Willie on the right side. And he played here a long time too. So he was just one of my favorite players as a kid. And I would say underrated as well. 
Yeah. So I, I see, I, I love that one too. And uh, I mean, you gotta, you gotta love the big boys. I think he was probably three thirty. That was a big, big yeah. man. Um, and he was, you know what? That was during that time when that line, uh, he came in, I believe it was the, uh, they got him the 04 free agency period and Marvin Lewis, the second year. And he was a, a, a really good get for them. You know, one of the, one of the more higher profile guys that, Marvin Lewis has signed in his watch and he stayed with the club for a number of years. Uh, and, and that line with him and he was next to Willie Anderson at right tackle. You, you know, you had Richie Bram for a little bit of that time yeah. at center. And then, you, you know, Steinbach for a little bit of that time at left guard. Then you had Levi. J I mean, that line was, was a, was a great line. And uh, Bobby Williams was, was definitely a very good player. Um, and, and one that I think, uh, Deserves a lot of praise. I, I, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to a couple of guys um, that I, they, I didn't put them on the list, but they were also relatively big free agency slash trade acquisitions and played pretty well under Lewis. And again, <laughs> kind of like what you mentioned, John, they were, they were part of the defense that was, Hey, we got to get a turnover. Otherwise they're probably, they're probably getting points. So, uh, and the cornerback duo of, of Tory James and, and Delph O'Neal, they, Tory James was another one that uh, came over. I think he was an O three signing from the Raiders and ended up being a pretty decent corner for them. Delph O'Neal, uh, was a trade a trade guy that they got in, in O four and ended up playing for the team for a handful of years and, and was pretty, you know, pretty productive as well. Yes, they got burned a few times. Yes, they let up some some points and all of that, but they also created a ton of turnovers, which helped immensely helped a young Carson Palmer, especially in that 05 campaign when they were God, they were I think they had four games that year where they had five interceptions again mm -hmm. in, in a game. Um, which created short field for a young quarterback and obviously he Palmer being who he was. Uh, tore them apart. So I, I think those two guys, I don't know how, how vivid your memory is of them. Again, they were on bad defenses, but yeah. um, you know, two guys that were outside acquisitions that I thought were, were pretty good. Delta O'Neill was definitely a favorite of mine growing up and just playing Madden. I always get like a piggy. <laughs> yeah. You had to, you had to, uh, you had to have him return kicks probably. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was yeah. he, in Madden. He was, he was an insane kick returner. And then there's other guys too. Reggie Nelson is, has to be in the discussion um adam jones might even be in the discussion depending on what what you know what your thoughts are on him but uh i i really uh i, I think you and i are kind of on the same page here i do like the the bobby williams edition i think that's a you know that's that's a really solid one who are some of your best players in the marvin lewis era i, I saw a couple of comments obviously uh so rick reed said gino gino meaning atkins number one um Lucas Leonard said Carson Daly. I think he's got the wrong last name, but I think yeah. we know we know who he meant. <laughs> um, Michael Myers says, "How about Reggie Nelson?" Uh, you know, so there's 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 a number of different a number of different players there that uh, we could go with. So uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're going to get out of here in just a few minutes. I am joined by John Sheeran of Cincy Jungle and SB Nation. Uh, Thanks for his generosity of his time. We're going to get a couple of listener questions here. I think we got a couple in the YouTube chat, um, and then we'll we will get out of here. I saw one earlier. Uh, Jesse Bates playing sixteen games this year. 
uh, John, what do you think? It's from Terrell Howell in the YouTube chat. I think that's a safe bet. I wouldn't say 16 starts necessarily unless one of the one of the two stars gets injured, but I think Bates is going to contribute from day one um, if everything goes to goes to plan and he'll be out there all year long. Now, how many starts he gets, how many snaps he gets, that's up for question, but 16 games appeared in, yes, I would say that's safe. Okay, so you watch a lot of film on these guys. You have undoubtedly watched at least some film on Jesse Bates. Um, is he the best safety on the Bengals roster right now? That's tough. Um, no, because I think that's a, a tiny bit outlandish. But I would say that I mean he was the highest drafted safety on the roster, right. so he has yeah, like more right. like yeah. yeah, he's got like raw talent to him, and he can do so, and, he, and he has range and deep field ability that Ilokan Williams doesn't have. Um, I want to see it first before I would say that statement, but raw talent at, at 21 years old, I would say in relative to like where I look and Williams were starting out. Yeah. If you put it that way. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. So not now, but definitely could be uh, yeah, in, the, in, the sure. near, in the near future. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I've got high hopes for the guy, to be honest, I wasn't too familiar with him. Um, really. I think, I think you mentioned him as one of the possibilities when you came on the program, before the draft as, as a guy that the Bengals might be looking at. And I think uh, Dave Lapham also shortly before the draft saying, you know, this is a guy for, to keep an eye on on day two. And lo and behold, they, they take him. Uh, and when you see some of his plays, you know, I mean, he's he's got athleticism. He's not he's not the hardest hitter, as Sean Williams and Aloka have proven to be. But uh, he sure can turn the ball over, and that's that's something the Bengals need. So uh, I, I, think, I think if he's healthy, he, he'll play – all 16 games. And I think someone else kind of to, to make uh, a point with one of our other folks in the YouTube chat, someone else mentioned in our last segment about great players under Marvin Lewis and Chris Crocker was, was mentioned. Um, I, I don't know if he was a great player, but he filled, he filled that slot swingman type of thing. And maybe that's where Je the, the reason I bring that up is maybe that's where Jesse Bates mm -hmm. starts as a slot you know, swingman type of guy, and that's how he plays a bunch of games. I don't know if you think that that's a possibility or not, but um, I, I, that that's maybe where I see his initial role at least, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right, one more before we get out of here. It was the – let's see who it was. Um, Dean Burke, who was most likely to, st to start on the right side of the offensive line. Obviously, this is probably the most intriguing battle – of train, Bengals training camp is who's going to play right guard and who's going to play right tackle. Um, I think most people right now would say inside track of right tackles, probably Jake Fisher, but that's, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, this almost seems to be a weekly question, but it's still worthwhile, especially since you haven't been on the, on the show for a little bit, John. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, what, what do you think about guard? I mean, or, or is it maybe a, a late, Release, you know, one of the one of the final cuts. There's a guy that's surprisingly released. The Bengals maybe make a move and bring him in. I I don't know. I think it's this group. I would okay. venture to say it, it it could be a guy coming off the streets. But if if that's the case, then I would assume maybe an injury occurred at a right guard or right tackle. Here's what I'll say. I've got pretty good experience answering this question at this point. Whoever starts <laughs> whoever starts sure at right guard. Yeah, I've been I've been rehearsed in this in this area. <laughs> I, I'm comfortable at least you know July 5th saying that whoever starts your right guard, I would say earned it 
in the sense that they would feel comfortable and I would feel comfortable because Westerman has talent. I think Hopkins started coming along towards the end of the year where he's going to be a good position to reclaim that spot. Not so sure about Redmond. I think it's more of a 1A, 1B situation than a three-way battle. But whoever wins the battle between Hopkins and Westerman, I would feel modestly comfortable that they're going to produce an average season, which which is really like we're not expecting them to be, you know, good players or great players even. Just 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 to stay out there, have the level of play not, you know, go too high or too low. Just 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 be a good body, I guess. Right tackle, I wouldn't say the same thing. I think if Bobby Hart's out there, something bad happened with Fisher. And honestly, I don't have a lot of faith that Bobby Hart can be a good NFL tackle at this point. I think he was always destined to be a guard. And then the Giants had to try him out of tackle, and he failed miserably. And I think Fisher's clearly the more talented player. I don't think it's close in that sense. I think they're preparing Hart to be to com- at least compete with Abuya as the swing guy. And he either wins that or he's ultimately cut. Regardless, Fisher is the clearly better talent there. And if he stays healthy under Pollock's toolish, he's I have pretty good confidence that he's going to produce a, a, a decent season at right tackle. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting about Hart. He is listed, at least last I checked, he was listed on the Bengals website as a guard slash tackle. Um, so it's interesting to see, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of snaps he gets in the preseason and, you know, how that affects his roster status. How confident are you and how, how, how believable do you find the, the, the good, the good stuff coming out of many camps about a boy, he, the improvements, that that's seen under Frank Pollock. He seems like a little bit of a different player. Uh, maybe he realizes that he's not getting that fifth year option and he's playing for some possible decent money. Um, do you find that believable or have we seen who he is? And that's no matter who's coaching him. I, I am what I am as Popeye I would say, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm always of the opinion that players don't change. It, it, if good players become better, Bad players just stay bad. and But I will say this. A boy he under Alexander was not a good fit in the sense where Alexander's techniques with pass protection, it's a lot of um, hug techniques and not a lot of punching. And it's kind of the opposite for Frank Pollock was more of an aggressive style of philosophy. A boy he's main strengths are, first of all, his feet and his length. And I th- when he was punching that left tackle, he would – he would do a decent job, but there's still not a lot of power to him. There's still not a lot of functional strength, kind of pretty important needs as a left tackle. So I think as a player, we've seen who he is, but Pollock, I think, can get out to him to be a lesser version of what Anthony Collins was. You know, some guy who you could just survive with, but just as a swing tackle and not as like a full-time star. Yeah. You wouldn't want him out there for like, you know, 50, 60 snaps a game. So in that sense, you know, I think he's, gonna do okay in that role as long as we don't see him too much but regardless at this point it's, it's just it's just hard for me to expect him to turn into a player that was worth drafting in the first round because that's at that in my perspective that's the only way that they can get you know that that they can see that pick as, as a success obviously not not just like a career backup but just as someone who's worth a first round pick and i don't think we're ever going to see that from a boy yeah and i got a couple of little sidebar questions for you do you see do you see Abwehi being an effective player maybe this year as we've seen the Bengals? Now, granted, this was under Paul Alexander, but they have used a sixth offensive lineman, kind of the jumbo tackle, extra tackle. 
Oh boy, he did it as a rookie when he finally came back from his injury just to get some snaps and some experience. Do you see that that may be something that they use him in this year, or is that not really part of Pollock's scheme? I would have to I would have to look back at some Dallas film to see if they utilize six offensive linemen because I'm not I'm not 100 confident in answering that question. But <clears throat> as a six offensive lineman, like a boy, he would be fine just because that six guy is mainly used to just combo block like the force player on the edge. And, yeah. you know, and, and when you're not giving a boy he like a one-on-one where he has to, you know, completely seal a guy out of the gap, he can do fine. Like that's just that's just something any NFL tackle could do. And then you factor in, you know, a boy he's got athleticism. If if Paula can, you know, maybe ha- hammer in some points about angles in terms of zone blocking, you can, you can get a solid role player out of that role. You know, like Dennis, Roll- Dennis Roland was always like that, that, that guy back in the day and he was just like mall guys over because he was so big that's not really a boy he's game but you know for a lack of power you can instill an understanding of angles and just leverage and that stuff and if paula can get that under you know in the way he's mine in the, in the next coming months he can get a, a decent player for that small role yeah last question i guess but and then we'll, we'll get out of here again it's kind of a sidebar to the initial question posted by the the fan there um are you pretty confident that Billy Price is, is a uh, Frank Pollock guy? Uh, you know, because there's been there was talk that hey, Ragnow was maybe the guy that they wanted all along, and they settled for Price. I mean, are you pretty confident that that's still a guy or the guy that Frank Pollock wanted and and can do well in his scheme? From what I've heard of just about like that whole situation, I don't think that they feel like they settled for for Price now. That, that that conversation might have been different for like Bodine, you know, four years ago. But I don't think they settled. I guess, quote unquote, for Price. I think he was always a guy that the not only just Pollock, but just like the entire coaching staff, just fell in love with upon meeting and just wanted to bring him in as soon as possible. And I think you know, labeling guys as like you know this this coach is like a, a, a kind of guy is always kind of dangerous because it can lead to some you know, bad things whatnot. But I think Price is going to fit in fine at least. Um, under Pollock in terms of just like the culture and stuff like that. And he'll be a solid player. And I think one thing that Pollock's good at is that he's good at, you know, getting the absolute most out of, out of the guys that he develops. And I don't think that'll be a problem for price. Guy's got the biggest baby face I've ever seen. He's just this gigantic guy. Imagine if he grew a beard though. Yeah, that would be, that would be funny. He (laughs) he looks, he's got like this 12 year old kid face on this like gigantic body. It's just, it's a weird that would complete the Whitworth trans- transformation. Always <laughs> yeah. have many Whitworths. Yeah. If you can grow a beard, that, that would be no do it. Yeah, and they've got the you know the shaved dome. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, John, thanks so much for jump jumping on with us. Thanks so much for your time. I hope we make this uh, somewhat regular where you where you can come on to this program. Where can fans find your stuff? Get in touch with you. Uh, obviously. Aside from love having you on this show, the part of the reason why we do is because of the positive feedback that you get from your great film breakdowns and everything on Cincy Jungle. But tell us, you know, where, where we can find your stuff and all that good stuff. I'm mainly just on Twitter, being an idiot, at John underscore underscore Sheeran. That's where you okay. can find Oh, and also the YouTube channel, DNH Sports. Uh, I do that with um, former Cincy Jungle writer, Daddy O. McDuck. And we. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're on a little hiatus because uh, he had some work to do, but we should be back in full force when training training camp starts. And along with being on the show, I hope to be on the show in the future. And you can you can find me there. Awesome. Well, tell Daddy what's up. We miss him, but uh, sure. yeah, tell tell him what's up. He's he's a good dude. Um, this is the the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast again. You can get this program on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, 
And uh, cincyjungle.com, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at BengalsOBI and via email theobinsider at gmail.com. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Thanks so much for listening to our program. We will continue to bring you all kinds of coverage uh, throughout the summer here. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. We'll talk to you soon. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>